Welcome to In the Booth, a Frederick News Post podcast exploring the 2016 races to represent Frederick County. This has been an election year like no other, both around the county and around the country. Here, we'll explore issues important to Frederick County voters, from third-party candidates to overcrowded roads and classrooms to presidential politics. I'm Jeremy Bauerwolf, here with my co-host, City Editor Andy Schatz. Hello. And we are In the Booth. Glad Hill Furniture is the only place you need to visit. Save big by taking half off all leather furniture store-wide. And this month, you can also take advantage of 24 months 0% financing. Stop by and visit one of our expert design consultants and get luxury for less. Cindy Rose is a Frederick County Public School parent and a vocal critic of the school system who's running for the Frederick County Board of Education for a second time. Rose lost her bid for a school board seat in 2012, but she's running again with a promise to boost local control in county classrooms. She earned the second highest number of votes in April's primary election, with a candidacy boosted by the Republican Central Committee, even though school board races are nonpartisan. Rose has campaigned to limit state standardized testing and has called for the resignation of Superintendent Terry Albin. Today on In the Booth, we talk with Rose about her candidacy and some of these topics. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cindy. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about why you decided to run for the Board of Education? Um, I decided to run this time because all the local control piece of school has seemed to have gone away. Parents don't seem to have any more input in their schools. The teachers don't seem to have any more input in their schools. And I didn't see our boards of education or school administrators on the local level trying to get that back, trying to fight for what belongs locally. And so I decided, well, you know what, I'm pretty vocal and tenacious, so maybe they need somebody like me to help them out. Do you think that there is too much testing going on in Frederick County, and what (laughs) would you like to see change? Absolutely too much testing. And if you read the MSDE, the Maryland State Department of Education's report that they did that the the legislator asked that they do to see how much testing was going on, Frederick ranks at the number one level. We test more than any other school district tests their students, and that's including the local assessments as well as the state and the federal mandated assessments. So yeah, there's way too much testing, not enough actual learning for the sake of learning. We're learning for the sake of the test, but we're not learning for the sake of the student. Is it simply a matter of cutting back across the board? Are there certain tests that you would like to see eliminated? I would absolutely like to see the park and the federally mandated tests eliminated. And we can eliminate them in several ways, but maybe you want to talk about that later. So, yeah, those got to be gone. Um, the state really doesn't necessarily mandate anything other than graduation requirements. And at one time, there were no state-mandated graduation requirements. I think local counties should decide what assessments fit their students the best as and collaborate with the teachers to find out what do we want to do, how do we want to do it, how often do we want to do it. So that's where I would land, letting the teachers decide what best measures to use for the students. Is it realistic to try to repeal some of those federally mandated tests when it's tied to federal funding, and how would you go about advocating for that when you have a seven-member board? Uh, You don't have to repeal it. All you have to do is say no to the Title I funding, which is $4 million of of our budget. That's not a lot in a half a billion dollar budget. So the Title I funding is what gives us extra resources for four or six of our schools. I can't remember how many Title I schools we have now. So we have 60 some odd regular schools. And because of the Title I schools, we jump through all the testing hoops and also the food nutritionist tied into that as well, the yellow food. So those are, I would say to get rid of that, get rid of the Title I, say no thank you. We are now going to do Title I on our own. 
if we can find 10 million for one link school, I think we could work to find 4 million for all of our schools so that we don't have to jump through the park hoops and the nutrition hoops. Is that the only funding that's tied to the test? That, yeah. that wasn't my understanding, but yeah. is that that's true? Yeah. Okay. To my knowledge, yeah. Okay. So saying no to the park exams, any other, I mean, are the locally administered tests okay in your view? or it dep- The teacher, depending on which class, which school, what course you're taking is the, what the test is dictated by. So I, that's the discussion we need to have with the educators, with the teachers. How many tests does the teacher need? We need to be giving a student so that the teacher knows the student is learning something. That To me, it should be bottom down. That's where it should all start from, not from the federal government and, and then whittle its way down through the local level. So I think we can come up with a number. You know, what's what do we used to do? End of unit tests and then you'd get your quarterly grade? Does a report card no longer mean anything? It certainly seems that way now. So how would you go about bringing this change, you know, saying no to the park exam when you have seven other or six right. other board members? You have to have some meetings with the Board of Education and see where they all are. I don't know where they all are. I know Ms. Barrett would probably say no to Title I, but that would probably be knee-jerk because she likes to do her digging and get her information. She's a good board member. So I think that conversation has to happen first. You discuss with the board, well, what do you think? And then let's go to the community and say, look, we can get rid of park and we can get back food and nutrition and we can decide that on our own if we're willing to say no to federal funding explain to them how much of the budget it is it's a very tiny portion it's only four million dollars and say we could probably raise this or find this and maybe even through getting rid of the testing and the, the, the fees associated with doing that and the costs of associated with administering these tests you may not even have to look for extra money it might just already be there you have had an interest in the issue of testing, refusal, and opting out. Can you talk a little bit about your experience that has gotten you involved in this issue and also uh, what you think the board has done, uh, your opinion of how the board has handled the issue? Uh, well, I started on the test refusal as a mechanism to get back local control from the park assessments. And so I started with my normal healthy daughter who was in a regular normal school and said, we're not going to participate because these tests don't benefit our students. And that went rough and they didn't want to let her in school unless she took the test. I think that's a, a violation of law. She has a right to be in school. So um, they didn't want to let her in. They sent me home with tons of makeup work for her. And then I had to sue them so she could go back to school because she does she did uh, uh, orchestra and extracurricular classes and just the whole uh, environment of being around your peers and collaborating and discussing that's what education is all about and they tried to deny her that they don't, wanted to deny her access to school so that's why I originally sued got a, for an injunctive relief to get her back in school immediately and that's where our journey began and in the first year they acquiesced and they said yes we don't have a right to force your daughter to take the test and she can come in but we're not going to teach her while she's doing it and I never asked them to do that all I said was let her in school while you're doing your 90 minute test she can go to the library the office and read a book or do whatever it is that you think is okay that she can be doing so that first year passed and she didn't have to take those tests and then the second year I decided I would do the same thing for my son who's special needs special education but his testing window is not like her so I was very afraid of what was going to happen his testing window was like 20 some odd days 30 days whereas the testing window for my daughter was two weeks so at most two weeks is all they could keep her out of school well fcps kept my son out of school for 21 days after they gave him part of the test without my knowledge so at that point it became a civil rights issue for me why does my son not have a right to refuse this test because he cannot speak although my daughter who can speak and that's what they were saying back then if they can say no they don't have to take it but since this young man can't say no he must take the test well that's insane and ridiculous 
So, and that's another one of the reasons why I'm running. Let's have some common sense. And aren't we supposed to be protecting our children from egregious behaviors and things that hurt them and, and look out for them? And we're not doing that. So that it became part of the issue as well. It wasn't just the refusal as for a, a means to get rid of assessments, but now we've encroached on our civil liberties and our right to say no to something that we find de- dangerous to ourselves. And the board recently took some action up changing its policy or, or how it expresses this policy. What do you think of their approach? Well, it took them a long time to get to the, the right answer. They had the hearing that we had before them after we went through the court system and the court said, you have to go back and exhaust all your administrative remedies, which was having a hearing before the Board of Education. So we did that. And Although they agreed with us during the hearing that you can't force people to take the test, they still came out with an opinion that said that, you know, they had the right to do what they did and they have the right to make them take the test. So we disagreed with that, <clears throat> but we didn't appeal to the state because we knew the state was just going to say the same thing because the state was guiding um, FCPS and saying, you have to handle it the way you want to handle it. And while they're telling them that, FCPS is saying, well, tell us what to do. And there was just this back and forth finger pointing at you, no, it's you. So the board decided that they would create a a refusal policy based on the fact that I I don't think they wanted to step on the toes of their superintendent. They had direction from the state saying, you decide. So they decided that they would make a formal policy that said, yes, you can and you do have the right. Not that you can because it doesn't come from them. You do have the right to refuse something. There may be consequences, and we all should know what those consequences are and accept those if we're going to do that. But they decided that, yes, you do have the right to refuse. We're going to recognize that, and we're not going to bully the children or the parents into taking the tests anymore. And how do you feel about how the policy came out because it's gone through several iterations? It, it landed fine with me. I preferred that they would have left the language in that said that they would uh, treat the students with dignity and respect because they weren't. And there were questions about that. My own granddaughter was not. She was bullied and told, you know, you'll have to sit here and stare at the floor for 90 minutes while we take the test if you're not going to take it. Why are we doing that to elementary school children? And why isn't the superintendent telling every single principal children can refuse? And when they do, here's your instructions on what you will do. They weren't doing that. And now this policy says you must. Every school must have direction now. How do you feel about um, student refusals in high school when it's tied to a graduation requirement? That's a great question because my daughter is in that boat now. She's ninth grade. So she, by law, for a graduation requirement, must take the Park English 10. Or no, I'm sorry, Algebra 1. So now I'm messing with her. I'm okay with saying, Gracie, you're not going to do this because it's for the betterment and we can get rid of this. But now this might go on her school transcript and now I'm not so keen on encroaching on something that affects her personally in a negative way. So now it's in her lap at her age. I'm saying, I'm going to let you have some input on this. What do you want to do? And we're still at the we don't know stage because in September uh, the state board is going to be discussing what the graduation requirements are going to be, what they're going to do with the testing as far as it goes. So we're probably leaning toward taking the test, but maybe not passing it on purpose, because if you fail it twice, then you can take the ACT or the SAT. And right now, out of all the slates of things you can take, ACT is probably the one we're most comfortable with, the one less messed around with, the one that's actually a real test. So this is your personal experience. How about for other people? I mean, yeah, I mean, what, what's your recommendation? Because th- this they is a to, serious consideration. Yeah, it's a very serious consideration. And I cannot tell people and would not ever and have not ever told people what to as, as far as a graduation requirement goes. Because there are consequences if you don't take the test. Do you challenge the state? 
for me, if it was me taking the test, I'd be saying yes, but I can't do it, not even with my own child. It's her life. It's not mine to mess with. So I can't. I can't tell people what they should do. It's you have to search your heart and mind what is the right thing to do in that, in that instance. Take it and then go complain. This should not be a graduation requirement because the test was never designed as a graduation requirement. The test only does, is only purpose is to how well was this standard taught. This question will ask you this, and if you can understand it and you get the right answer, we know the standard was taught correctly. That's all it measures. It doesn't measure what your child knows or if they're ready to graduate or if they're college and career ready. In the latest school budget, do you think there are any areas or programs that are not funded as well as they should be? And is there anything that you think needs to be cut? Um, um, until you can find out how they're spending every dollar, the budget tends to clump and lump things together. So there are certain aspects of that i'm not willing to say no let's cut this let's cut this let's cut this i'm for doing an audit a forensic audit of the budget so that we know where every penny is going to and why it's going there i think only then can you make a responsible decision on cutting the budget back and until you have that information i'm not willing to say no let's just just yank this out of there so there's nothing been i mean have you kept track of the board and what they've talked about i mean there's nothing you would identify or off the top of my head no and i gotta say that right now in the last few weeks I haven't been concentrating on the budget it has been mostly the testing but my previous reads of the budget no there's nothing that I you can there's nothing that's glaring and that's why people don't have a problem with the budget because there's nothing that's glaring in there that says so this is just frivolous spending I mean we do spend money on textbooks that we don't use my daughter has a, a math book that's two inches thick she's used three pages of it they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a textbook that they have not used so that's not in the budget you can't see where that's purchased. So there, that's, those are the things that you would need to see so you can say, let's cut this out of there. Frederick, <clears throat> Frederick County, like other counties across the state, has been trying to figure out uh, the problem of school construction and how to have enough money to build the schools they need. Uh, there's been some discussion lately about other approaches, such as bringing in private partners. Right. Do you, have you heard anything that you think makes sense and needs to change? Is there anything that hasn't been discussed yet that needs to be part of the discussion? I really liked Councilman DeLauder's conversation about the private funding for the building, where they would pay for it up front, and then we would basically be paying them rent until we own the building. And I get that the expense wasn't enough of a savings to say, let's go ahead and just jump on that. But I think that's something that we need to discuss more. Could we have gotten a lower interest rate? Could we have gotten more years out of it? Because when you can build three schools for the price of two schools, I'm kind of saying, oh, yeah, that interests me greatly. And when you can build a school the size you want versus the size that the state says you can because of your population, then that interests me. When we're not beholden to those state regulations that say you must do it this way because we're giving you the money, then I'm more than willing to listen to conversations about, you know, we could probably get funding in another way. We may pay a little more up front, but, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to have that conversation to get a better school, a bigger school, a school that accommodates everything that we needed to accommodate. A, a number of the state mandates dealing with school construction have been politicized prevailing wage in particular right. but people have referenced you know environmental regulations and things like that right have there been any that you think should be repealed well the prevailing wage most definitely if you have someone who's willing to come in with a construction company and do it for ha not half but for considerably less amount of money i'm all for that i and i'm, I'm also one of those anti um minimum wage people the market should dictate what 
you do. If someone's only paying their employee $2 an hour, their odds are that they're not going to get a lot of employees jumping for those jobs. And Lord knows we have a lot of unemployed people who would love to have an opportunity to have employment. So a prevailing wage would be one of the ones I would definitely want to see repealed. It's considered a pro-union measure. What would, right. you, what would you say to the critics who say, you know, we want to ensure that these people are paid fairly? Well, I want to ensure they're paid fairly, too. And I think that happens when people don't sign up to get the job. I'm not going to go and fill out an application if you're only going to pay me what, you know, I don't think I'm worth, and they go elsewhere. And people who want that, well, who are we to say you shouldn't get $5 an hour if you're willing to work for $5 an hour? That's better than $0 an hour. So I think the market will will ferret that out. We may not like it, how fast it does it, but I think the market will ferret that out. Speaking of pay, Frederick County is seen as lagging behind the rest of the state in some particular areas for teacher salaries. The board recently took some steps to um, uh, condense the gap, I guess. Do you think the board has taken a good approach? Does there more, is there more that needs to be done? I like their approach. They finally raised the lower end, even though I wouldn't complain about where we are. Someone's going to be on the bottom end. We don't want to be the person on the bottom end, but we were on the lower end. But there was not that much of a difference between us being 20-whatever we were on the bottom and then the top people. There may be a $1,000 difference in theirs and where we started on the lower end. So raising it, and we tried to do that for years, the, the school did, but the union was against that because it was an all or nothing to them. Either we raise everybody's wages or we don't raise anybody's rages so I'm against that so I do approve that they did lower that starting scale just a wee bit our teacher salaries are in dire straits as everybody's painting it as I don't think so and I've read the exit interviews and most of our teachers aren't leaving because of their wages uh, a lot of them are leaving because they feel disrespected by the administration not by the parents or the community but they're, they don't feel valued by the system as a whole, so they want to go where they feel like they're actually appreciated for their teaching abilities, not that they can facilitate a classroom. A lot of them leave because they're retiring. A lot of them leave because they're starting families. A lot of them leave because they're being transferred or their spouse is being transferred to another location. If you read the exit interviews, wages is not the top thing that makes us a teacher leave our school system. Where do you think that narrative comes from then? Because I think the a lot union. of people, the, the union, just yeah. the union. Uh, that's who I, that's the only ones I ever hear clamoring about it. I've not heard the public say we don't pay them enough. Taxpayers think we spend a lot of money on school systems. So, What kind of influence do you think the teachers union has in elections? Is it, is it uh, beyond what it should be or is it just another voice? Um, well, I can't say for the general population, but in the people that I know, and, and me personally, my view was that when that teacher ballot went out and said the teachers have chosen these people, I thought the teachers chose those people. Well, then I learned the teachers don't choose those people. The board members put together who the teachers may vote for. So if it's me and, and Joy and Mr. Beninsky, and you can choose from them, they'll leave my name off, and then the teachers can choose from the remaining people. So it's not a true representation of who the teachers are selecting. It's who the union has allowed the teachers to select from. So, yeah, I think that influence is a manipulated one. How would you Im improve the process, or what role would you see for the teachers' union then? Well, I would think that the teachers' union should put everybody's name on the ballot and let the teachers decide and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, that's isn't that what democracy is all about? I'm, I'm all for that. And if I don't make it on an honest selection, I'm, I'm cool with that. 
but what you're describing then is is almost like having an election within the union for them to decide who well, should they, they should endorse. They call is, it an election. They, yeah, that's, that's what they call it. Okay. I mean, they have you come in and you do their their interview, and and I did do their interview and pass you know muster with that, I suppose. And then they go and they look at all that information, and the board will decide from everyone who came in and did an interview. We're going to put these people on the ballot, send it to the teachers, and let the teachers vote on who we've decided they are allowed to vote for. That's manipulated. I don't approve of that. How was your, um, when you ran before your last cycle, Mm -hmm. did the teachers union play a role and how you didn't fare as well as you did in the last time? And I wasn't as well known then. And yeah, it was just a totally different election at that time. So nobody knew who I was except for the people who were wonky types who would really get down into the meat of politics. So. Let's talk a little about about the dynamics of this particular election. Um, school board is a nonpartisan race, but there seems to be some politics, at least beneath the surface, maybe right. barely beneath the surface. <laughs> barely. But, uh, <laughs> five candidates mm-hmm. came out, uh, out of the primary and a few who, uh, I'm sorry, six, but right, five six. who were not you. Right. Uh, they all kind of got together and decided that they didn't want you to win. Right came up with a strategy right. in which at least one openly said that was why she was dropping out. What What do you think about this? Is there a place for this? Is this normal politics or is this beyond the pale? You know, if you pick a slate before you start, I'm cool with that because then you said we are like-minded people and this is what we want to accomplish and together we're going to do that. And that's a, we want to do this for you. That's a positive thing. But when you get together and you collude to say, you know what, this voice over here isn't like our voice and we need to squelch that. And that's what they said. They didn't, they didn't go out there and say, we want to do this, this, and this. And just, you don't even need to mention me because then that says, this is what we want to do. And let the public decide whether or not this outed person who's not there the reasoning behind why they did that but they just blatantly just came out and said we don't want her she's unwelcome which means the 18,000 people who voted for me their voices are also unwelcome I'm pretty much the parent voice in the whole group they're the institutionalized representation on the board so what to me what that said and should scare the public is parents are still unwelcome in the public school system they don't want that they want the institutional knowledge why do you think that the at least Lois publicly said that you wouldn't be a, a good fit? Why? She said I was dangerous, and I do not know why. I, I'm dangerous because I am willing to ask questions. I, I don't. I can only guess why she thinks I'm dangerous. I ask questions. I think I'm a good representative of parents. I'm, I'm a tenacious advocate for children and students and their rights. I don't know why that would be dangerous. I think that would be wanted and helpful. You're the only Republican running in the race again. It's nonpartisan. Um, and the Republican Central Committee has been very visible with your strategy. They suggest mm-hmm. only voting for you. Right. Is that something you agree with when people are given a total of three votes? I think you should use your vote wisely. If there are more than is there, if there's more than one person you want to vote for, then you vote for that person. But if you're only represented by one opinion, one ideology, one philosophy, why would you vote for more than that? You don't waste your votes. They are precious. You just pick who you think represents what you want to have happen. So if that's just one, then that's just one. Do you think you would be able to work with any of the other three candidates if they if you were both elected? Oh, I get along fine with them when we see each other. I'm not a, a, an aggressive person when it comes to relationships. with. I think I'm rather diplomatic. I used to manage a law firm. I'm very diplomatic. But when I need to be a tiger and a bear, I'm going to be that. And I, children are worth fighting for. I'm going to fight for them. What about philosophically, though? 
oh, we're as far apart as you can be philosophically. But again, I believe everybody's entitled to their opinion and you should welcome it and it should be heard and people should base what they want to do on all of the facts, not just the facts that are allowed to be presented. So I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I'm happy to share opinions. You learn from them. Do you think that you could still be effective even if you were a minority voice on a lot of issues on the board? I don't think I would be a minority voice on this particular board. But if I were the uh, if, if I were the only one like me and there were, everyone else was unlike me, yeah, you, as long as you still get to have your say and the public gets to hear it, then the public starts to sway. That's how we got the refusal policy. I want just one little voice. And when one little voice gets attention and gets heard and then the other people hear what your issue is and then they get behind you and that forces your elected officials to do the right thing. So yeah, one little voice can do a heck of a lot of good. You said you're not a minority voice. Who on the board shares your views and what views in particular are, are shared? Uh, the local control is the most important thing. And I think uh, 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 Ms. Cusimano, Ms. Barrett, uh, Ms. Miller, uh, Dr. Miller, and uh, Brad, I think, Mr. Young, I think would all like to see some local control. They were a little skeptical at first, at least a couple of them. Well, Colleen and Dr. Miller, they, were, uh, they weren't as skeptical, but Brad especially was skeptical about that refusal policy well, at first, though. They're leery of losing funding, and I get that. But again, I'm of the mindset, I'm going to fight for children. I'm going to do that. We're going to, we should be doing the right thing, and if it costs you some dollars— Oh, well, I, I don't want it to, but what, what are we doing? Are we protecting children from things that may or may not be harmful? Or are we, pardon me, or are we worried about money? How about working with the superintendent? You've been, you you know, you wrote a letter to the Frederick News yep. Post yep. saying that she should resign. Yes, still stand by that, but I, you know, you have to work with people you don't get along with. And I can be very respectful and treat her with the same amount of respect that she will treat me. I don't have a problem with that at all. But I stand by my wanting her. She's worked against the refusal policy. She's literally gone to Annapolis and advocated against the refusal, the Ben's rule, the, the law that would have made it law, the bill that would have made it law. While at the same time, our Board of Education is down there testifying for Ben's rule, Dr. Albin and her position on the Public uh, Superintendents Association is advocating to not adopt Ben's rule. That's why she, I think she needs to not be our superintendent. She's working against what we as a school body, school board want. She's not the right fit anymore. Do you think you've been respectful of each other, you and the superintendent? I don't think I've ever talked to her since the whole, you know, I see her at the board meetings. I may nod at her, but I, I don't think I've been disrespectful. Is your objection to her based on that one issue then, or are there other problems? No, uh, well, a lot of them would be test-related, but not particularly to me, where she was allowing certain behaviors in the school systems to happen, knowing that they were students being bullied, parents being told, you must take, the law says you must take this test. And she didn't stop that from happening, even though she knew it was happening. So yeah, there are things of that nature where she's not standing up and advocating for what is best for the students. If you had to pick out one thing that is the current board's biggest success and one thing that it's its biggest failure what would you say? Well, I would say the refusal policy is probably its biz biggest success. That and they've approved the Rock Creek School. That's that's a big success. That's gotten on there finally after many, many years of needing to be on there. Its biggest failure. Believe it or not, I don't focus on the failures, but um, I really couldn't say that there's something that's so egregious that you know they should all be embarrassed or hide from the public. So I really don't have a, a big failure.
like, oh, I don't. Maybe um, not having better control over their superintendent so that she's doing what they want as opposed to doing what she wants. Because the board is who runs the school system. The superintendent is just who implements the board's vision. And the board implements the public's vision. So maybe that would be their biggest fear, not recognizing that their mandate comes from the public, not from the school superintendent. I think those have been reversed for many decades, not just this board, and they're just following that along. So not the biggest failure wouldn't be this particular board, but school boards in general, where they've lost focus on who designs the school system. The public does. Our community decides what we want to do in education. And for too many decades, it's been the superintendents and the administrators telling us what we'll do, and they're getting their direction nowadays from the state. And that's never the way it was designed. It was designed to be locally, county-controlled, or the city, if you're in the city, education. So that would be it. How do you go about... um about local control how do you go about involving parents and the community in the process when they might not have as great an understanding of what education is they don't have that institutional knowledge that some of the educators do have right and and I've been in the, in those shoes you don't know what the role of the school board is and that's why if you go to my website for Frederick County local control it explains what a board of education's function is and I think that's where we need to start with parents parents just go in assuming that it was the education of our childhood and the teachers are doing their job they're teaching they're doing the tests and that's just not what happens other people control the classroom so I think if we can let the citizens of Frederick know the Board of Education is here this is why we elect them to create the education you want for our community and then that starts them feeling involved and feeling active and I think that's how it all begins just letting them know what that role is and then they know what their role is in carrying that forward. I think to wrap up, I'd like to talk a little bit about special education, which is, I know, an issue probably very close to your heart. Um, the school system recently fired a, a consultant, DMC. What improvements do you think that the school system needs to make in the special education realm? Yeah, they got rid of DMC because DMC's work product was just a regurgitation of some other work that they had done in another school. So that was just a horrible th- way to go about doing that. So. Well, they just need to be more responsive to the parent needs. We shouldn't have to fight for the things on the, the IEP, the Individualized Education Program, and, and the services that we need. And a lot of that is they're hamstrung by the state. The state says, you, you must teach this, that, and the other thing. And we'll use my son as an example. Okay, so he's in the fifth grade, but he has the mental ability of an 18-month-old at his best. But he still must be taught science and multiplication and the density of chalk versus the density of coal. My son doesn't know what milk is, if you were to say choose milk or choose juice. He doesn't recognize his name. But Common Core and the state dictates mandate that you must teach my child about chalk and about multiplication tables that right now he is not ready for. So we need to do a better job of advocating for what we should be teaching, not what other people think we should be teaching, but the realities of the classroom and what's going on there. That's what we need to be doing and advocating for. Well, I think that is just about the time we have then. Again, thank you so much. Where can the public uh, go again to find a little bit more about you? Uh, on, I have my Facebook account. You just look for Cindy Rose Board of Education on Facebook, and then I have a website, Frederick for Local Control, because that's what I'm all about, local control. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. In the Booth is produced by Graham Collin, Chris Sands, Danielle Gaines, and me. Our theme music is courtesy of FMP reporter and rocker Kelsey Luce. If it's politics and it's Frederick, we hope you'll join us for the conversation in the booth.